0: Exodus chapter 13, I'm so thankful that you're here this morning and we are in a series called Living Outside the Box and uh, for the last several months we've looked at several characters of the Bible and how their lives were thrown upside down but how they were able to thrive even when that didn't happen or when their lives were thrown upside down. This morning though we're not going to look at one individual per se, we're going to look at a group of people. And in Exodus we have the story of Moses and the children of Israel. Picture with me this morning that uh, we get onto a plane, all of us. Now, it'd have to be a big plane for us all to get on, but picture with me that we get on an airplane, and we take off here at Tucson International Airport, and we go 15,000 feet in the air. And as we're flying around Tucson, and, and we're looking around Tucson, we can start to identify several different landmarks that are within Tucson. So picture with me if you can. We're looking out the window, and we see the one area of town that has tall buildings. Hey, there's downtown. And right next to it, maybe there's a a section of, it's a stadium, and the lights are on, and oh, that looks like it's a football stadium. There must be either a professional team or there must be a college team. And then we keep going, and we see the mountains on the north and Mount Lemmon up there, and then we see that there's three roads that go the length east to west of Tucson and 22nd and Broadway and Speedway, and we can begin to identify landmarks of the city of Tucson. And landmarks... It's given a characteristic of the city in which they reside. And this morning, what I want to do is look at three specific landmarks of God's relationship with his people. When we look at the the story here in Exodus of the children of Israel, we're not going to look at one specific story. We're going to look at several stories and the overarching view of how God interacts with his people. Here in Exodus chapter 13, I invite you to join me in verse number 8. And the Bible says this, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done, because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that every week we could come together and we could be encouraged, strengthened and equipped from your word. And Father, I ask that you help us this morning. Lord, a lot has happened in this service, but help us just to give our undivided attention to the preaching of your word, because that's what truly matters, and that's what changes lives. Father, I ask that you just be with this message in Jesus' name. Amen. The first landmark I see is God is the deliverer. God is the deliverer. Here in Exodus chapter 13, we're actually on the ending part of a long story that has already happened. According to Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel were in Egypt and in bondage for over 430 years. And here, if you remember, Joseph at the end of Genesis was sold into slavery by his brothers. And eventually, he landed in Egypt, and he began to work for Potiphar. And and specifically during that time, he was used by God to to preserve and steward the resources of the seven years of plenty. So that way, when the seven years of famine came, there would be enough food and resources for the people. Well, during the seven years of famine, Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt because they heard that there was food. And upon arriving in Egypt, they saw Joseph and the shame that they must have felt when they saw Joseph their son or the brother they just sold, into slavery. But we know that God had a plan, and he used that plan, and ultimately Joseph's family all moved to Egypt with him. They settled in the land of Goshen. Fast forward several years, Joseph and his family do really well in Egypt, and they start populating and multiplying and having a lot of kids. And then during this time, though, Joseph and his dad die. And during this time, the family remained in Egypt where they called that place home. So that's why they were in Egypt. But a new king came to the throne, and they, he didn't know Joseph, and he didn't know the story. And when he, became, when, he, when he became king, he was given counsel that the Israelites were growing in number, and they could overtake the Egyptians. So the new king put a plan in place. And if you've been in church any long, you know this. The new king put two plans in place. First of all, the Israelites were now in bondage or in slavery to the Egyptians. So that means every single day when the Israelites woke up, they had to report to the taskmasters that the king had set over them. The Bible says that they built cities for Pharaoh and, and they worked in the fields. And the Bible actually says that they were, they had, the, the work that they did was hard work. And that was the first decree, that they were enslaved. But the second decree was that all the Hebrew midwives, when they were delivering the Israelite children, they had to, if it was a, a, a girl, they were able to preserve the life of that one. But if it was a boy, they had to kill the life of that Israelite. Well, through God's intervention and through God's providence, there was a little, there was a little boy whose name was Moses. And he was able to be born and, and taken and, and kept, and he was, his life was preserved. And ultimately, here in chapter 13, Moses is now leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. The new king put out this decree, and what was interesting is, they, those people who were in, they were, the Israelites were in bondage to the very nation that opened them, or that welcomed them with open arms. The Bible says, though, that Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the children of Israel, the Israelites, depart. Even though Moses says, let my people go, even though he said, God sent me here to let my people go, Moses' heart was hardened, and he would not let them go. But we do know that God sent ten plagues, and, and ultimately God delivered the children of Israel outside Israel. Of slavery. God delivered his people from bondage. God is the deliverer. But what's interesting is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus Christ, or God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the attributes that God possesses is that he's immutable. He is unchanging. Who he was back then, he still is today. Who he is today, he will be for forever because God is immutable. So if God is the deliverer of the children of Israel, how can God be our deliverer? How can God be the, the deliverer of the body of Christ? And I see that he's a deliverer in two ways. First of all, he delivers us from the bondage of sin. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. Romans 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. This means that every single person in this room, every single person in this world is unrighteous. We are sinners and we are under the bondage of sin. And just as the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt, we are in bondage to this sin nature. This sin, though, that each of us are in bondage to has a penalty. In Romans 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, obviously, every one of us at some point in our life are going to die, but the Bible isn't talking about a physical death here. It's talking about a spiritual death and the separation that we will experience if we die in our sins. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So every one of us, we are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to the penalty of that sin, but... First John 2, 2 says, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation, the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is the deliverer from the bondage of sin. But then secondly, he's also, he delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us from the power of sin. Once you are a Christian, you are saved for eternity and you will spend eternity in heaven. However, presently, We still live on a fallen, sinful world. Every single day we are drawn and we're tempted to sin. And and if we in in the bondage of sin, we have no choice. We are sinners by nature. But once we have been declared righteous, we are no longer under the power of sin. We can choose to live a victorious Christian life because God delivered us from the power of that sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, the old sinful nature that we have is passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but as such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You know, some of us, when we are tempted, we feel like, Well, I'm tempted, so I have no option then to just indulge in that sin. But as a Christian, that's not the case. Because we have been purchased, we have been bought by the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, and now the Holy Spirit lives within us, so we are no longer under the power of sin. God delivers us from the bondage and power of sin. God is the deliverer. But join me in the next chapter here in Exodus chapter 14, and we'll see our next landmark of God's relationship with his people. In Exodus chapter 14, verse number 10, the Bible says this, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? So we see the second landmark is God is the protector God is a protector. You see, the children of Israel, they, were, they finally were able to leave bondage. 430 years in bondage, they are finally free people. And they get out into the wilderness, and they begin wandering around, and the promise was given that they would be free, and they were free indeed. However, as they were starting to go around the wilderness, they look behind them, and the Egyptian army is following them. Sure enough, Pharaoh had a heartburn over letting them go and and decide that it was probably a bad idea. So he grabs his horses, he grabs his chariots, and they go follow him. And now we find Israel between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. They're between two obstacles. And the only way that they could be protected was if God intervened. And I will say, if that's the case in our lives, that's the best place to be in. Because we give God the, the only opportunity that we could be saved is if he intervenes on our behalf. And that's exactly what we see here. God performs a miracle and, and through the faith of Moses and, and he parts the Red Sea. And the Bible says the, Egypt, or the Israelites were able to cross on mushy ground. Nope, not, right? He, they were able to march on dry ground. You see, when, when God performs a miracle, he leaves no questions about who performed it. Because God was the only one who could do this, and he did it indeed. God made a promise to Israel that he would protect them. And the promise, and then he delivered on that promise through a miracle. God protected his people. See, the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea, and then God, once the Israelites got across, the Egyptians started going. And then Moses turned around, and through the faith that he had in God, the sea closed and killed the entire Egyptian army. And the Bible says, so that they would never see them again. In the mid-1900s, there was a missionary family to China, and their name were the Hillis family. And I read this story in a book, a, a biography about their family, and it, it, it gives another example of how God just truly protects his people. It was in, in 1950, uh, 1941, they were in China, and during the same time, the Japanese were invading China, and they were in one of the cities that China was very closely encroaching upon. And during that same time, Mr. Hillis had appendicitis, and so they heard, the news was coming in that the Japanese were invading and they had a decision to make. Mr. Hillis said, if I stay here with my appendicitis, I'm going to die. But if I leave my family, I can't protect them. So they decided and Mr. Hillis ended up taking a long journey to a hospital to get his, his appendix removed. And the, Mrs. Hillis and her two children were there in Shenkyu, China, waiting for God to protect them. Soon after, soon after he left, a Chinese colonel came into the town. In 1941, the town was a lot smaller then, and the Chinese colonel actually came to Mrs. Hillis and gave her news that the Japanese were quickly approaching and they'd be there within the next couple of days. Margaret, she, that was her name, she knew that her two children, both under two years old, could not make a long journey, and they had to stay put. So she prayed about it, and she was worried, but the next morning, Miss Hillis looked up And she woke up, and she got her two kids, and they had a little wall calendar there in their kitchen. And she looked at it, and on the bottom of that wall calendar, it had some verses. And one of the verses for that morning was Psalm 56, verse 3. With time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That same day, the the story goes that the town quickly emptied because the Japanese were quickly encroaching upon that town. The town became eerily quiet, and, and the hillaces were left to themselves to fend for themselves. The next morning, Mrs. Hillis arose and looked at the verse on the calendar and feeling abandoned because no one was there, she was taken back and just in awe that the verse for that day was Psalm 9 verse 10. Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. That day the town was quiet again, for most everyone had evacuated at that point. With her two children, she tried to remain calm and put her trust in the Lord, even though she was worried not only for her safety, but for the safety of her husband and his health. The next morning, she was woken up to gunfire and worried about their safety as well as the food and, and protection for her children. So she began praying and looked at the wall calendar again, and it was Genesis 50, verse 21. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And sometimes if you're, you might think, well, this, is just, this story probably didn't happen. But I, I, I will tell you, if, if you've ever experienced something like this, you can't explain it because God meets you where you are where you're at. That morning they she read that verse she began praying with her little ones and she heard a knock on the door and an old lady stopped by with a fresh pail of goats milk. She was able to provide that nourishment for their children. And then a little later on that afternoon another lady stopped by with a basket of eggs. And God reminded Margaret that he was going to protect her. The next morning with gunfire raging It was in the distance, she continued praying that God would protect her small family. And she looked at the calendar, and that day, it was Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. The battle, from what she could tell, was quickly approaching because of the gunfire. And so she didn't go to sleep that night just to make sure that she could provide whatever means of protection she could for her family. Well, about midnight and the early morning, she started noticing that the gunfire was, was quieting down. And then the next morning when the sun rose, it was all quiet. In fact, that same morning, villager, villagers started making their way back into the town. That morning, the colonel knocked on her door, and for some reason, he told her that the Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it, but the danger had passed. They were safe. You know what? And you might say, well, that story is that it would never happen to me, but I promise you, if God can protect the Israelites... If God can protect the Hillis family in Shenqiu, China, all the way around the world, then God can protect us here in Tucson. And sometimes we look around us and we look at the external forces and we say, woe is me, there's nothing we can do. But we serve an almighty and a sovereign God who has promised to protect his children. And frankly, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know if you got bad news this week, and I don't know if you're having family problems or financial problems or whatever problem we might be facing. God is going to deliver you, and God will protect you because that's what he's promised to do. Psalm 3.3 says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my hand. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. There's been times where trials have come into my life, and I just start questioning well, God, if you say you're going to protect me, then why would you even allow this to happen? And we, start, we do start questioning God. But can I, can I give you this encouragement that every trial that we face is Father-filtered. Every single trial that we come comes through the Father and He gives it to us so, we can be, so it can be used to mold us into His image. Just as God protected the Israelites and the Hillis family, He can protect us too. Quickly, in Exodus chapter 15, we'll see our third landmark. So the children of Israel, they're out of bondage. They were able to be protected from the Egyptian army. Now they get into the wilderness, and they're, they're traveling and traversing all around the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 15, we see that God is the provider. God is the provider. And in Exodus chapter 15, the Bible says this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shore. And they, and they went uh, there three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Now, we live in Tucson, so I feel like we can really identify with this story, right? If you spend any amount of time hiking or out in the desert, it's not quick or you're not out there too long before you're feeling very parched. I'll never forget when we moved to Tucson in 2009, my lips were in a constant state of chappedness. I don't know if that's a word, but they were chapped. For the time we were here, my hands were dry, and I remember we would go to the store and we would get water and water and water, and we needed water. But that's exactly where the children of Israel were at. They traveled for several days, and they needed water. Now, if you remember, the children of Israel it wasn't just Joseph and his descendants. Some people believe that it's a million to over two million people. So they couldn't just stumble across a well to feed or to give water for that many people. God had to provide a miracle, and that's exactly what what they did. God heard their cry and led them to a place where there was water. But when they got there, the water, they couldn't drink it. It was bitter to taste. And so they simply couldn't drink the water. But what's interesting is, I love that in the Bible, God uses, or you put specific words in there. How many times do we see that the Israelites murmured? Their life was blessing, murmuring. Blessing, murmuring. They were known for their murmuring. And that's exactly what we see here. They murmured and complained to Moses that the water that God provided wasn't drinkable. They were quick to complain Because they were quick to forget. The Israelites were quick to complain. Because they were quick to forget how God provided for them in the past. And I think if we look at our lives and truly see how God has delivered us from the sin. The bondage of sin. And how he's protected us. Then we too would be slow to complain. But God still provided for them and provided the water that they so desperately needed. God wants to protect you. He wants to deliver you, for, deliver you, and he wants to provide for you. Matthew six verse twenty five says, "Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Now yet for your body, what ye shall put on, it is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns; yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they?" And in 1 John 1, or James 1:17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God wants to provide and meet our needs. This morning we've seen that God has delivered the children of Israel. God protected the children of Israel and God provided for the children of Israel. But as we close, I invite you to one last passage and, and that's Exodus chapter 16, verse two and three. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, as we close this morning, we see several landmarks of God's relationship to the people. But now, really briefly, I'm going to look at the people's relationship to God. So we've seen how God delivered, God protected, God provided. But what was the relationship that the children of Israel had with God? Here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says this. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured. Remember, we just said that they use that uh, definition, that verb a lot, because that's what the children of Israel were known for. They murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, focus on this next part, Would to God we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hungry, uh, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Israelites had the audacity to tell Moses that they would have rather died in slavery than enjoy the blessings of being free and following God. How could this be? This past Christmas, uh, Janessa and uh, the girls, we were able to fly back to Georgia with the help of my mom. And uh, taking three little ones on the airplane wasn't easy. So my mom came along with us, and we went back to, uh, to, to Georgia. And we had a great Christmas there. And Christmas morning, um, we, the kids opened up all the boxes. And it was the one time my, grand- or, uh, my in-laws can really spoil the kids. So they had all sorts of boxes under the tree. And we got there a couple days before, and I'll tell you this, it is a hard thing keeping kids away from a wrapped, shiny present. And the kids wanted nothing more than to just go open the presents. But Christmas morning came, and the kids started opening up the presents. Now my in-laws got my, my nephew, Trip, a, a pretty big gift. And the box was probably like 10 times the size, and it was a little seesaw. And so they opened it, and they opened the gift, and, and they had a great time opening the gift. They ripped all the, the, the wrapping paper off, and then they pulled out the seesaw. They pulled out the seesaw. And Raylan and Tripp, they're both about the same age, they took out the seesaw, and this is the best gift for multiple kids because there's three different seats. They can't fight over it. So Tripp and Raylan were sitting here, and they're doing, they were playing it, and uh, I'll never forget, for like 30 minutes, it was just seesaw, seesaw, like that. That's all they were saying. And then it came like a moment, and it's just like, I don't know what happened, but they just stopped playing with this, and they went back to the box. The box was empty, and their imagination went to what all this could be, and, and they, the box was super long so they could crawl through it, and, and they had this incredible... Box? That they were playing with. And when I think about that story, and I think about the children of Israel, the children of Israel were in a box of slavery. God delivered them and gave them the blessings of being their deliverer, their protector, and their provider. But they wanted to go back into the box. They they wanted to come back here because they had safety here. They had they had shelter. The Bible says they, they knew where they were. They were by the flesh pots. They, that was their location. The Bible says they had bread to the full. They, they're, they're, this was their comfort zone. But this morning, as we close, the Israelites enjoyed the comforts of their slavery, their food and shelter, but they forgot about the burden of that bondage. You say they had the pleasures of the here, but every morning they woke up, they were slaves. Every morning they woke up, they were under the task or the the mastership of a taskmaster. Their life was tough in bondage. But here, they were free. They could do whatever they wanted. They they, they had a freedom. God was their deliverer. God protected them. God provided for them. But they wanted to go back into the box. And this morning as Christians, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. Many times, though, we remember the pleasures of the sin, but forget about the burden of the bondage that we were in when we were in sin. This morning, God delivers us from the bondage and power of sin. He protects us daily, and he provides for us daily. However, are we, as a body of believers like the Israelites, and desire the comfort and bondage of sin and slavery, then rejoicing in the freedom and delivery that we have in Christ? This morning, God was the deliverer of the Israelites, God was the protector of the Israelites, and God is a provider for the Israelites. But this morning, God is our deliverer. God is our protector, and he is our provider. Are we living in the freedom of Christ, or are we looking to go back into the box in the bondage of sin?